Luke chapter 2, starting there in the first verse. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one, into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I'm not going to preach in this, but isn't that section just absolutely incredible how Caesar was in God's hands and he never even knew it. His decisions were not even his own. We know from Bible prophecy that that child had to be born in Bethlehem. And the Lord was going to move them to Bethlehem. So he used Caesar to get Joseph and Mary to get down to Bethlehem. Just incredible God's sovereignty. Listen, even when you don't understand when things, the way things are going right now, know this. God is in control. There's nothing happening that God is not aware of. There's nothing happening. He is completely in control. And verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service this morning. Lord, we do thank you for sending your Son, Lord, to be our gift for us. All that you are willing to do in order to save us, Lord, to, to redeem us, to reconcile us, to undo what sin had did. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your mercy and grace in it. And Lord, today I pray that you would use your word Lord, to help us and draw us closer to you. I pray it would not be in vain. Please use it to strengthen us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is apart from Christ, that they've never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, that perhaps even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you be glorified and honored. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was, I think back when I was younger, I think of two things that are sort of my favorite gifts growing up. One I've mentioned was, I was about eight years old, and, and at the time, it was shortly after my parents had divorced. might have been the, the, the very first Christmas after that. And I opened up, it was this thing called You Drive It. It was the neatest little thing. It sat on your lap, had a steering wheel with it, and like this board. And on, I guess it used a magnet. I was seven or eight at the time. I had no idea. But you turned it on. It needed batteries. You turned it on, and it would spin. And so you controlled that car on. As that thing spin, the car really didn't move. But you controlled which road that car sort of went on as that board turned around. I, play, I think I wore that thing out before New Year's Day. It was done. I play that thing just, just constantly. I'd wake up at night, just driving that thing. 
And then, of course, it was about two years later, the Atari 2600 came out. Oh, yeah. Those were all-nighters. Pong. Think. Think. <laughs> Think. And play that for hours. Play that thing for hours. We had a lady here at the church. She used to be here. They've, they, they've since uh, have moved. But every year she would give Marianne a gift um, each year. And it was, I'm trying to remember exactly how it looked. I can't quite remember. But it consisted of seven gifts within it. All right, from the week before Christmas. And so on each day she'd have to open up one of those gifts all the way up until Christmas. Well, in a lot of ways that pictures how our gift of salvation works with what Christ gave us 2,000 years ago when he came to this planet. There is much that comes with Christ. Much. The Bible talks about this in the book of Philippians, how we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There is so much, there's so many gifts that come with that main gift of Christ that we're to work out. And that's what I want to look at today, is dealing with the gift, God's unspeakable gift that he gave us. In our text, we read of these events that, again, took place 2,000 years ago. When God sent this gift to mankind, that God was giving His Son to the world. And think about that day, the majority of the world knew nothing about. The humility that God shows is always incredible. You can understand why throughout Scripture, He hates pride. When man dares rise up to think he is anything and tries to operate from a prideful standpoint. And you see, here is this day that God is becoming a man. The overwhelming majority of the people right just in Israel, let alone the rest of the world, had no idea what was taking place. None. There weren't huge crowds. You know, they weren't out there like we see in popular movies, lifting the baby up for all to cheer. No. There wasn't even room for him in the end. And remember, God organized that. There was a reason that took place. It wasn't like God in heaven, I forgot to make hotel reservations. That's the one thing I forgot to do. I'm sorry about that, Mary. Sorry, really. No. There was a purpose in all of it. One, it would distinguish as we read, even the shepherds when they come to find him. Oh, you're gonna, it's going to be easy to find this baby. He's going to be in a manger in swaddling clothes. But nobody knew. I mean, some shepherds. Shepherds. I mean, I have a whole message just on the shepherds of, of God. I mean, could you imagine, again, being these shepherds that night? I, I mean, they had never seen anything like this. Reread this too much as a story instead of an accurate historical event that took place. Imagine those shepherds in the field. You know, as we talked about doing at the time, why I, believe Christ, why I believe Christ actually was born on December 25th, the weather in Israel at this time is pretty nice. It's probably 60 degrees outside. They're out there. Mid-December is the time that, that, the, uh, that the lambs are born. And so they're out there with them. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. I mean, in that glory, in that fashion, you can imagine the fear that would hit. They'd never seen an angel before. It wasn't like this was common any more than it is today. And all of a sudden, this angel appears, and they are just sore afraid. The angel says, fear not. The angel knew. I mean, heaven knew. He's born. It's happening. It's starting. This is the day it begins. 
He told him, unto you this day, born in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then all of a sudden, like God peeled back even more that glimpse into heaven as they see the host of heaven singing and praising God. I mean, imagine what they saw. What those simple shepherds knew was that even before all of heaven, how great this moment was. A moment on that magnitude of God going to men like this on the earth, proclaiming of an event that just took place. This is the first time that's happened. And of course they go and they, they find the child. All just wondered and pondered at what they were looking at as God in the flesh. And yes, Jesus Christ is God. He did not come to thousands waiting to come and say thank you. Thousands coming to wait to see him. He comes to a small town born to a meager couple. After his birth, laid in a manger, a place used to feed livestock. Amazing, humble beginning to the man who would change the world. The Christ, the Son of God. His actual ministry time would last a total of three years. That's it. Three years. It covered a very, very tiny portion of the world. Really, if we, if we, if we mark out between Capernaum to Jerusalem, he covered an area of about 106 miles. He traveled between those areas only three times, with the majority of his ministry taking place in Galilee in towns and villages, these small places. He never wrote a book. Never wrote a song. He never ruled a country. He never sought political power. When great crowds would gather, many times he would just go away. Yet, he changed the world. I mean, today, he's either the most loved or the most hated in the world. Why? Because of all those who have ever been born into this world, there was no one like this. This was the Son of God. This was God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God. He did not become the Son of God in this moment. He is the eternal Son of God. God allowed this to take place, this being God's unspeakable gift. To us. It's much better than liquid death. So I want to look at different things that we get with this gift. And I hope it's a help to you this morning. First off, let me cover this one first. Many times I cover this point last, but I'm going to cover it first here this morning. It is the most important aspect of this gift that we receive from Christ, and that is life. We have an earthly life right now, and it's very temporal. Matter of fact, we don't even know what's going to end. We have no idea when our temporal life is going to be over, but one thing we all know, it's going to end. 
We all have an appointed time. The Bible talks about that. There's an appointed time for man to die. Hebrews 9, 27. But what the life that this gift gives is, in fact, eternal life. Now, understand this. Maybe you're not aware of this, but the truth is your soul is what you are. Your body is just your house. That's all it is. All right? You're not your body. You are a soul. That is you. That soul is actually eternal either way. It will either live in a state of eternal death or eternal life. One or the other. Death, understand this, death is not nothingness. It's not what the word means. It's never meant that. Death, the, the actual literal word is interesting. I don't know if I have another piece of paper in here. If I do, I'll, I'll use that to illustrate it, what it means. I do not. It simply means to separate. To separate. If I was to tear this in half. That's what the word actually means. Separate. Well, so how do we get death from that? Because that's what takes place at death. Not just the separation from the person that you love or your family or, or, or what's taking place. It, we, it's separation because what happens at that moment is this. And if you've ever been there, many of us have. Being a pastor, I've been there many times. At the moment, someone passes away. The soul leaves the body. It's like it's obvious. I mean, it's, it's clear. Life is gone. Levi, do you remember that when you were younger when, I had, when, when you were there with me? And I don't remember who it was. We, he's probably only 10 years old at the time. We were just here. And he happened to be in the hospital room with me. And the person had passed on. And I said, Levi, I want you to see this. I said, come up here. I think we we're the only ones in the room. Is that right? And, and I was just pointing out, look how obvious it is. And saying, this is what the soul is gone. It's clear now. It's gone. There's an obvious difference when death hits. The soul has left. That soul is eternal. It is. God made our bodies very temporal and corruptible. Your soul is eternal. That soul will never go into a state of unconsciousness, if you will, of nothingness. That will never happen. It faces eternal death. Or eternal life. The reason, the best part of this gift that we get in Christ was He came to make it possible for eternal life for your soul. That you will never be separated from God. Because in that very real place called the lake of fire, that is an eternal separation, an eternal death from God. And you, you just, I, I covered this a little bit when I was preaching on hell. You just think of that aspect of hell alone, of being in a place where there's nothing of God. How horrible that is going to be. So this gift, the primary things it gives, it gives, it provides us is eternal life. People are always trying to find eternal life, aren't they? We all know the story of Ponce de Leon. He was my favorite of the explorers in middle school and high school. He's the guy who went to Florida because they were convinced there was a fountain of youth. What did they want? Eternal life. They wanted something they could do where they're not going to die. He was convinced they could find it. He never found it. He died. Scientists today are working on ways over and over to try and stop aging and stop death. It's funny, they just mask it. You can go in and get surgery and still look like you're 30, but inside you feel 85. Many religions try to find eternal life through rituals, through works. 
But eternal life is only in the gift that Jesus Christ provides. This is why God became a man. This gift is the greatest one that you need. One day that soul will depart your body and you will be judged. This gift is made possible by an amazing word. It's it's one of the most important words in the entire word of God. The word grace. That is unmerited favor. That is God not looking at you. So you know what? That's basically a pretty good person. I think I'll save that one. That's not how this works. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. What enabled this love to take place was unmerited favor. God never looked at me and said, boy, he's a pretty good guy. No, he knew I was wretched. That's what he knew. And yet he chose undeserved favor towards me. It is acquired by faith. That's how you get it. It's not by coming here and getting baptized. The amount of people today that have been blindsided by this lie that started third to fourth century about the necessity of water baptism is astonishing. Do you actually think that when we fill that thing up with the city water of anchors, that it's actually going to take away your sin? That's absurd. Baptism is important, but it's not salvation. Baptism is you saying it accomplishes three things according to the Bible. That's it, three things. Number one and most important is what we call your profession of faith. It is you telling everyone, I believe Christ died for me, was buried, and rose again. By the way, sprinkling doesn't demonstrate that. I had a, had a co-worker. His name was Mark Wheeler. He was Lutheran, if I remember right. And I was brand new in the Air Force. And, and, he, and he was a faithful Lutheran. He'd, all, Lutheran. He'd always come to talk to me about the Bible and things like that. And so we would obviously gravitate towards the subject of baptism. Not because I wanted to win an argument with him or anything of the sort, but because I knew if that's what he's trusting in, he's lost. And so one day he came out to me. He was a super nice guy. I, I really, I, I like Mark. He came out and said, well, let's talk about baptism again. He said, you know, uh, um, he goes, when you bury somebody, my point in the last argument was how it is to picture a death and a resurrection. And... Uh, he said, well, when we bury somebody, he says, we simply bury them all the way. And I said, yes, that's right. Oh, I'm done. Some of you are, we're, we're closed. I'm sorry about that. We, no. <laughs> and he said, he said, you, you, you bury them all the way. He said, he said, that's all we do is sprinkling is we just simply get right to the head. And I said, good. I said, next time your uncle dies, I said, just sprinkle some dirt on his head and leave him there. Let's see how well that works for you. <laughs> But this is acquired by faith. That's it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. See, what you have to do is you have to turn from whatever it is you're trusting in. You don't add Christ unto the God you're already serving. Do you know that? If you think, well, it's, it, it, it is in my Catholicism. It is in this church. Listen, no, you've got to repent of that. You have to say, no, no, it is Christ alone. It is Him. It is faith in Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, He would go to the cross. He would live the perfect life. When He went to that cross, that was literally God taking your place in judgment. That was God putting your sin upon Him and Him judging Him in your place to satisfy justice. Justice. 
At the same time, then he gives you his perfect life that he lived. That's where salvation lies. That's the most important part of this gift is that. And once you receive it, you know what's great about it? You have eternal life. And as Christ said, by the way, and I believe his word over the nonsense of, of, of different theological arguments today that are not based in Scripture. He said, ye shall never perish. Ever. But let me go on now to those of us who do know Christ. What else this gift provides us. This gift does something like no other. It changes us. This gift has the ability to change you. To literally put you in a place where you can be the person that God, the Creator, intended you to be. There is no other gift. You can go to the self-help bookstore all you want to. There is nothing like this gift to change your life. It is through this gift that the Lord works through His awesome, incredible Spirit, His Holy Spirit that indwells you, that begins to change you. I have often wondered what my life would look like today. I had my birthday yesterday. I think I'm 43 now. 53 years old. I have often wondered what my life would look like had I not been saved. I wonder, I think it's either two paths. I wonder, would I still be married? What, where would my kids be right now? Where would my kids be? I, I wonder, I often think, would I either follow the pattern of my dad or the pattern of his dad, my grandfather? My dad, who was the rock and roll DJ in Cleveland, Ohio, just followed the, the, the hard life, the partying lifestyle. I still remember when he got older, when he was realizing how vain all that was. He couldn't stand when I became a Christian. I mean, hated it. Couldn't stand it. Then as the years went by, my kids were getting older. On the phone with him one day, and, he, he, and I believe he meant every word of it. He goes, you know, yours is the life I've wanted. He saw the vanity of what he sold out for. Or would I follow the way of his dad, my grandfather, a proud man, a man who was very successful in his career? Would I, win? Would I put my passion simply into a career and into a name? I mean, to this name, you go outside of Cleveland to Brook Park. It's actually where the Cleveland Hopkins Airport actually sits. Not far from there, you can go. Beautiful park, McGovern Park, right on it, named after my grandfather. You know, but if he did not get saved before he died, you know what he knows right now? Just like that rich man, vanity. All vanity. But I look with amazement at the time where God worked in my life, allowed me to make right decisions. That convicted and said, no, this way. No, this way. Or showing grace. No, come on. No. This way. This is the gift that changes us. That allows you to get your life in a place that God, the Creator, can actually use. Do you understand? That's for you. I mean, if you really just think for a second how awesome the Creator is. That literally spoke it and the universe came into existence. That He actually knows exactly where you're at in life. Listen, 
for our teenagers. Life is all about Him. Don't miss that. Don't, miss, don't let the other things in life that can produce bitterness and, and misguided, don't base it on, on, on how other Christians serve. Stay focused on God. This gift not only changes us, this is really how it changes. It's still the same part of this. How it changes us is it gives you a different perspective on life. It does. It should actually immediately. You know, there's different things that have actually changed my, my view in life. I, it's, I, again, I remember I referred to this book before when I was in New Guinea. I was reading a book, and I don't read a lot of fiction. This was a Christian fiction. It was recommended, and it quickly became one of my favorite books that I've ever read. When I finished it, it was one of the books I could not put down. It was based on real accounts, but nonetheless, it was a fiction book about the difficulty of life in China for a Christian. When I finished it, I viewed life differently. I viewed it so differently when I finished that book. There are things in life that happen that every now and then literally produces a paradigm shift, if you will, in how you think. Salvation, of course, nothing compares to that. What should happen to you at salvation? The change of perspective it produces. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul. There he is on the road to Damascus. He's getting ready to, I mean, he is the, the, the leader to stamp out this movement of Christianity. He, he does it with passion. Now remember, as we went through the book of Acts, I've enjoyed that so much. Remember when he heard Stephen preach. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest intellects of that day, could say nothing to the man. Nothing. He heard Stephen preach about Christ, in fact, being the Messiah. He couldn't argue with him. He was literally left speechless. And as he was pondering that, you better believe he was pondering what he just heard Stephen preach. Here he is on the road to Damascus, and that light hits, and Christ speaks. By the way, at that moment when he realized everything Stephen said was true, I am wrong. He does not hesitate and puts his faith in Christ. He converts immediately. He was well aware if he converts, boy, I look like an idiot. I'm the guy trying to stamp this out. That's me. I'm the guy trying to end this. I will lose my family. I will lose my friends. I will lose my position. I will lose my income. I will hurt my family name if I actually make this decision. Yet the guy doesn't hesitate. You know what happened? His perspective on what was important in life changed. Don't believe me? He writes about it in Philippians, doesn't he? Those things that were gained to me, I counted as loss. Junk. When he realized who Christ was, it changed how he viewed life. So much to so, it didn't matter to him if he lost everything. Now let me help you right now. Let me, let me try and be an encouragement to you right now with everything we see going on in this world. I have grandkids coming up in this world. I do. I know the world is changing drastically. And it produces fear in a lot of Christians right now because we have kids coming up in this world right now. Do you understand there's also advantages to that right now? God is in control. Let, let me explain that. Do you know how many of our kids we lost in this country because the things of this world simply grabbed them and took them? time of peace, no persecution, 
easy to be a Christian. It was popular. It was a thing to do. Yet so many became nominal. So many, so many just caught up in the things of the world. Oh, with this, that will change. That will change. This will make you serious about your faith, what this world's getting ready to go through. If the Lord does not come. And so we, we like to say the phrase, you like to hear the preacher can say it, we agree with it, we'll say amen to it. Life is all about God. The question is, do we believe it or not? Do we actually believe that or is life actually about us and our comforts? Or is it about God? This gift changes our perspective. How about Zacchaeus? Do you think his perspective on life changed? Oh, it did. It changed. I mean, here you have this, this man who had led a wicked life and all of a sudden, he hears Christ. And you can see the change. His perspective on life changed. When we went through Matthew, and, 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 I, and I took basically almost a week to preach on, uh, on the 12 that were selected. Not a week. I, I took weeks to go through the 12 that were selected and preach about each of their lives. There was a few of them that really grabbed me. One of them was Matthew himself. I mean, this man, Matthew, what an example of a man whose perspective in life changed at the moment of conversion. If you have trusted in Christ in true faith and repentance, yet it has not changed your perspective in life, something's off. I mean, we even see even in a secular sense where our society recognizes how Christmas should even change a perspective with the story of, of the Christmas carol of Mr. Scrooge. He needed his perspective changed. What he thought was important was not. By the way, I do think we need to avoid those things that are not godly or biblical that seek to change your perspective. There is a battle for your mind and how you view this world. You, had, you need to protect that. It's sad. I might end up having to do a series. There's a book that is out and it's growing and growing in popularity to the point I might actually have to do a topical series on something I never thought I would have to. There's an evangelical with a name that has written a book on how there is nothing at all wrong with the sin of homosexuality. And it is launching into popularity. And so he goes through biblical arguments why it's fine. Somebody needs to deconstruct that thing really quick. <clears throat> Obviously, this gift of Christ changed the shepherds. They thought they had a simple life, even a life that nobody liked in that day. You know, it was the, it was the one job nobody wanted. It was the guy who did the grease traps. It was the shepherds. You're the shepherd of your day. But you know what that did for him? It changed how they viewed life. It wasn't about being a shepherd. It wasn't. It was about God. Who is no respecter of persons. I can go on how it changed Mary and Joseph, but I'm going to continue. Let me finish with this. 
Lastly, not only give changes, not only the gift give life, but lastly, it provides what we need. It does. Again, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, really, so many today just play the game. They do. They, they, even some, some who might be faithful to church or not faithful. I, there's even a lack of understanding why we have a local church. Why we need the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. To where it's indifferent to it. Ah, if I get there for that, that's all right. As long as I get there for lunch, I'll be good. That's sad. You're missing what it's all about. We have, we joke with, and by the way, he's kidding in our, in our, church's, our church's social media pages. You'll see every now and then our barber, who's probably even watching right now, he'll always ask the question, is there food after the service? I'll come. He's joking, by the way, with us when we get our haircut. It's a running joke when, when he gives us our haircut there. But this gift provides what we need. One, it can provide strength in the moment you need it. We all have those times in life when you just think, you know what, I just cannot make this anymore. It's in those moments this very gift can give you the strength that you need. The Bible talks about that over and over. In those moments when you need it, the Lord is right there to provide that strength that the world doesn't have. Why do you think, why do you think we have things just at epidemic levels like drug abuse and alcohol? People obsessed with different things, whether it's entertainment or pornography. Because all of a sudden they just can't handle what they see in life and they have to run to this. But with the Lord, He gives you the strength you need. Not only does it provide strength when we need it, it provides comfort when we need it. There are times when a measure of sadness and grief can hit us all. We're certainly not immune to that as Christians by any means. It can hit us. It can. We have this, your flesh didn't disappear the moment you got saved. By any means. Those moments can just hit. And you're in that moment. Do you know that part of this gift is about those moments and giving comfort? Giving comfort. Allowing God to do that. And you have to be careful in those moments. Oddly enough, it's, it's a, it, it comes with our human nature... You can get to a place, not all, but by any means. You can get to a place where you end up having a measure of satisfaction in those dark moments. You don't want that. You want the comfort that God does give. Of being able to step back and realize, just like Paul, Paul the Apostle Paul went through such a brutal Christian life. He did. That's just the truth. Brutal. And when he gets into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talking about, all right, this is what I've been living. This is what I've went through. Since I've been saved, here's been my life. And it's brutal. Shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and imprisonments and on and on and on. And then he finishes up, though, why he doesn't look at this light affliction, which is but for a moment. He focused on eternity. There's such a measure of comfort in that when that gets a hold of you. To be able to step back and put things in the perspective as God sees it. To begin to put a smile on your face. It provides strength. It provides comfort. 
and we've been there. I remember being on the other side of the world when I got the call. It was New Year's Eve. Out of the blue. I talked to my dad on my birthday, Christmas Eve. And uh, it was a different call. I remember that. He never told me of any health problem. He did not. He didn't let anybody know. But I remember it was a different call. He, it was almost like he, he thought I was in the States for a second. I mean, even though he's lucid, I didn't recognize anything. He says, where are you at? When he had called. And I'm like, well, I'm in New Guinea. All right. It's almost like he thought I was in the States for a second. And then one week later, New Year's Eve, my brother calls me and says, I don't know what's going on, but dad's in hospice. He's not going to make it. And I'm like, wait, what? What, what's go- what are you talking about? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I just got a call from our uncle, his brother. He says, I'm on my way out to Arizona now. So I go online to start to do my plane ticket immediately to fly back. Right before the Lord, prote- the Lord gave me the thought at the right moment, I am just getting ready to click buy to purchase this ticket that was probably three or $4,000. And I remembered, I don't have a passport. The PNG government has my passport, my visa is being redone. I can't fly out immediately. And so I shoot an email out to the guy who's handling that for me. and said, listen, my dad's dying. He has days. I need to get out of country now. And he says, I'll get working on it right away. It's the holidays in New Guinea. Sharon, I, she was a little girl. She remembers this. Everything shuts down for weeks. Not just a day or two. Weeks. Needless to say, a couple days later I get a call. I have no passport. Nothing like that. My dad had passed. He was gone. I was in my office alone underneath the house. And that grief just hit. My last conversation with him, though, when, when I was in the States on furlough, was the gospel. Going over the gospel. That was my last full conversation with him, was the gospel. There are times, though, right in those moments when the Lord knows right where you're at and He gives the comfort that is needed. The key to all this is simply this, as I close, is just like I was given several presents this morning. You know what I had to do? I had to open them up. They don't do them any good if I don't. I mean, I can't wait to get home and open up liquid death. You're going to drink it first. <laughs> but if you don't open it up, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. There is so much that comes with our salvation. You're just never accessing, accessing, and am I saying that right? What in the world? God has given you with salvation. It's yours. With heads bowed and eyes closed.